Now, the uh, kids have got to get off just to um, camp in, uh, shortly, so I'll try not to be as long as I was last time. We'll see how that goes. Let's just pray before we start. And Father, we just thank you for bringing us together this morning. We pray that you will be with us as you've promised, where two or three are gathered together in unity. You'll be there amongst us, and we claim that, pra- that promise, and we know you're here with us in your spirit. And we just pray that your spirit will speak to us, speak through me. Help me to say things clearly. Help people to uh, help me to say the right things. And pray that everyone, anything that I say that's not of you will be forgotten and burnt up. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're, uh, we're leaving Timothy aside for a tight little bit um, over the next few weeks. And we're going back to the Psalms, just for a little bit of a break over the summer. So, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 47 this morning. So, if you'd like to turn to that, uh, you're welcome to join me. But... Uh, uh, it'll be up on the screen. It's only short anyway. So uh, we'll just, let's just read Psalm 47. <clears throat> For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord, amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations, God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God, he is greatly exalted. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, in the book of of Psalms, there are a great many, many different types of songs. Of course, you you can guess that that's very metrical. It's very, um, the kind of language that's used, it's clearly a song. Of course, we don't know the tune um, that that it was sung to anymore, but uh, it's clearly a song. There are lots of different types of song in the book of Psalms. There's the songs of lament. Uh, the last time I was asked to speak out of the book of Psalms, we were looking at Psalm 37, and that was clearly a lament where the author was very, very sad and, 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 and in, in distress. And he was crying out to God in his desperate need. And then there are songs of wisdom where the psalmist conveys practical advice on how to follow God and what the best thing to do and what's right. Myriad type of songs, the songs of repentance, uh, all sorts of things. So God is a creative God. He, he's given us so many types of songs, so many types of emotion. And our psalm for today is what's called actually called a song of ascent. It's a group of type of psalms that's called a psalm, a song of ascent. What that means is when we read this passage, as we go through the text, the picture that we need to have in front of our minds is one of the Almighty God who's in control. He's King of Kings. We are we are servants of that God. We are, we're walking up to His throne. We're approaching His throne. This Almighty God on His throne, and the people are cheering and they love Him. And we're worshipping him. It's like a coronation, if you imagine it. You imagine, the, I don't know if a few of you were around back then. I wasn't. <laughs> I remember the Jubilee, the Silver Jubilee and, and so on. But uh, the coronation, I wasn't around. But you, you, if you can imagine, if you see the old pictures of the days when everyone held street parties and everyone was out on the street cheering and London was just full of crowds and everyone was really happy and there were parties and people waving flags. And, and, but imagine it thousands of times greater. This was just one small country, one country celebrating their queen this this will be the nations of the earth celebrating god angels joining in with heavenly choirs 
Everyone praising God because he's worthy. Because he's sufficient. He's the only thing, only one we need. The ancient Hebrews, the, the Jewish people who wrote and sang this song when it was written, would sing as they ascended up Mount Moriah. As they walked up the ceremonial, the central way up the centre of the, the, the old Jerusalem, as they walked up the city of David to the temple at the top of the hill where God resided. Where the Shekinah glory had come down in the time of, time of Solomon and, and, and descended into the temple and, and was dwelling in the Holy of Holies. And they were approaching him. And they'd sing him in this procession as they wound up the hill in festival days to present their sacrifices and worship the Lord and then climb the steps up onto the temple itself, mount itself. You can, t- you can see the route they took today. It's been uncovered a few years ago beneath the streets of modern Jerusalem. They've excavated and leading up from the pool of Siloam up to the top of Mount Moriah, there's this wonderfully paved flagged stone surface with steps every few, few yards. And you walk up those steps today underground and you can see where the Romans broke those flags and got down into the sewers below to kill people fleeing the rebellion of AD 70 when they destroyed the temple. But in happier times in Jerusalem, that's the picture of this song. That's the picture we need in the front of our minds as we go through this song. God is on the throne in the temple. And like we sung today, triumphant joy is filling the air. Look at that verse 1. It says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout out to God with loud songs of joy, like cries of joy. I don't know whether what we were singing this morning was songs or cries. We make up a, we're not going to pass judgment. I'm sure it was, it was it, from the front, it was lovely. In 2 Kings 11, a her, but there was, there was this horrific, in 2 Kings 11, going back to the, there was this absolutely horrid woman called Athaliah, if that's how you pronounce the name, Athaliah, killed all of the royal family of Israel at the time, slaughtered them. And then ruled for six years as a tyrant. But unknown to her, God had preserved an individual who then came to power. And he became a king and she, this tyrant was overthrown and the rightful king was put back on the throne. And, and he was righteous and he led people back to God, towards God. And when, when, he, when he took the throne, what did people do? It says in 2 Kings 11, they, they proclaimed him king and, and they anointed him and they clapped their hands and they shouted, Long live the king! Just like them, we can celebrate with clapping. We can, you know, we're allowed. We aren't great at it here, Regent. We're, we're, we don't like to risk getting carried away with the excitement very much. We're a bit British, perhaps, about that kind of thing. We don't seem to get that clapping rhythmic thing off very well, but we can. It's allowed. It's even encouraged. Just like we can celebrate with shouting. We can celebrate the same as it was done in ancient Israel. And the psalmist is calling us together to continue to do that. To do just that, to honour and to celebrate our mighty, our amazing God. Let's look at that verse one again. Look at who, 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 who is the psalmist calling to worship? It's all peoples, it's all nations, regardless of race, regardless of country, regardless of sex, regardless of mental capacity, regardless of opinion or political persuasion or anything. It's everyone, it's the whosoever. Whoever is willing to respond. The psalmist in, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit is calling all peoples to praise and honour him. To celebrate who God is and what he's doing there. And just like today, the psalmist lived in a broken world. Just like all those broken when this individual was wrote, this world was broken. Nations were going against nation, people against people. And there was financial struggle, there was poverty, there was hunger, there was death. 
The world was broken just like it was, it is today. But the psalmist is calling regardless of that, regardless of your situation, regardless of everything, we are to praise the only one who deserves praise. And that's our God. That's the Lord, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit calling everyone. Today you may say, Paul, Paul, you don't know what I'm going through. I can't celebrate God right now. It's not, not the situation I'm in. I can't praise God. It's a grave situation I'm in. And, and I, I believe I could encourage you with the story of Job. You know the story of Job? He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. The only thing Satan left for him was his adoring, nagging wife who told him to curse God and die. What someone support that was. He left his friends and all they did was pour judgment on his head. And they enjoyed doing it. And in the midst of his pain and his suffering, before God rescued him, before God rescued him from that situation, he was still scraping the sores of his body. He was still sitting in ashes. What did he do? He called out to God and he said, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He worshipped God. He was honouring. He celebrated God and identified what God was in the midst of his trouble. You know, in, in, in Acts chapter 16, you know the story there, Paul and Silas in prison, we have two people there chained up. We have two people in chains praising God in the midst of being in prison. They're in prison. There's no message from God. They don't know what's happening. They think this might be it. There's no vision that they're going to be delivered, that they've been given. But what do they do? They bring the house down with their singing and praise to God. In 2 Samuel, when David loses his son, his newborn son, what's his response in the midst of that pain? 2 Samuel 12, 20 says this, when David got up from the ground after he'd washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Psalm 47, this is what we're called to do. We're called to honour. We're called to celebrate God in every single aspect of our lives because he is worthy. No matter what, no matter what is happening with us, he is still worthy. And you may say, well, Paul, you don't know my past. You don't know, don't know my sin. You don't know what I've tainted myself with. I'm unworthy to worship a perfect God. Well, today I'd say, yeah, 100% true. Absolutely. Every single one of us has lusted. Every single one of us has lied. Every single one of us has complained and moaned. We've all acted out in self-righteous anger. And every single one of us has declared ourselves unworthy before Almighty God because of our behaviour. Isaiah says it in this dramatic way. He says, all our righteous deeds, our own deeds, are just like filthy menstrual rags, even our most righteous deeds. But what does God tell us in 1 John? He tells us in chapter 2, in verse 2 of 1 John, he tells us, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is the righteous, the righteous. He is the payment for our sins and not for ours only for also the sins of the whole world, for the whosoever, for the everyone that this psalm is calling to. Let's look again at verse 1. What's the attitude the psalm is calling us to praise God with? He's telling us to praise with joy. It's important to pr- that, joy isn't, that we realise that joy and happiness aren't the same thing. They tend to be used interchangeably in our language today, but happiness is an emotion that comes and goes, and as our situation changes, we feel more or less happy. But joy here that we talked about, biblical, scriptural joy, is a permanent thing. It's a precious power. It's a confidence of being a child of God through Jesus Christ, come what may. And this joy can be expressed with a massive smile on her face, 
or it can be expressed with a tear rolling down our cheek. It's a joy we can grip with both hands, absolute confidence, because God gives us victory over temptation. It's a joy we can sing at a funeral. We can sing praises to God because we're absolutely confident that he is still in control, even in that desperate moment. It's a smiling, joyful shout that when you let go of your child's bike and they don't wobble over, but they make it. That's joy. You don't worship God because, just because we called. We don't, we don't worship God just because we want to. We worship God because of who he is and that never changes and because of what he's done and because of what he is going to do. We have a God worthy of praise. We have a God who in Romans 8 tells us, tells us we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That means our cancer. That means our childlessness. That means our broken relationships. That means our financial struggles. That means our trouble in the family. We may be our midst of those things and still praise God. Why? Because we are told he is working for good. See, when God created everything in Genesis 1 and 2, what, 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 what did he call that creation? That perfect creation. He called it good. And he's saying to us here in Romans 8, and within this passage, we can worship God because he know he's taken our deeper struggle. And he's bringing us back towards that Eden, that good, that pre-sin status. That God who's amazing, that God who knows exactly what to do. Now let's move on to, to verse 2. Oh, the slide's packed in. Oh, well, never mind, never mind. Had an IT problem. My fault. Verse 2, it says, For the Lord most high is to be feared, great king over all the earth. Who is the Lord? He's the most high. That means he's not subject to anything else. He's at the top of the tree. He's not subject to the laws of physics. He wrote the laws of physics. He's not subject to buoyancy. He's not subject to gravity. He's not subject to any of those laws. He's he's the creator. He's the one over all. He is the most high. Look at the text again. That verse 2, it says, he's to be feared. It could also be translated, perhaps more accurately translated, he's awesome you know it's a phrase that are awesome it's a phrase that our colonial brethren across the pond have become somewhat devalued by being used to describe everything quite literally but quite literally our god is awe-inspiring if we were to see him well the bible says we actually see him with our earthly eyes we die but if we were not to die we'd be standing there slack-jawed and, and amazed and zoned out awestruck Isaiah 40 tells us that all the power of all the nations in all the world are compared to him nothing. A drop in the bucket. We have a mighty God. What does it mean here when he says he's to be feared? What does it mean when he says he's awesome or awe-inspiring? It means we fear, he fills his enemies with terror. And he fills his people with awe-inspiring joy. He fills his enemies with terror and he fills his people with awe-inspiring joy. He's the champion we all want. This world's desperate for a champion. That's why they have the movie industry with all these superhero movies and Marvel and, and so on. These, and Batman. These people strike terror into their enemies in our imagination and they give us this imagined awe. We're all desperate for that emotion. Why? Because deep down, every one of us knows we're limited. We can't do everything we want to do. We can't fight back against so much 
that oppresses us. We can't be in two places physically. What We can't acquire all the knowledge there is. We can't acquire all the experience we'd like to. Napoleon Bonaparte, one of the greatest conquerors, one of the greatest generals the world has ever known, he thought he had that. He thought he was unlimited. He said, I make circumstances. I'm not subject to circumstances. He thought he was in control. He said that. And what happened? After that, he lost five battles in a row and was taken immediately out of power and ended up in prison, in exile. You and I were limited. We're so limited. I mean, in 6,000 years of history, the best we can do as a human race is send a Tonka truck onto Mars. I mean, that's our greatest accomplishment as a race. In the midst of a massive universe, that is so small. It's pathetic. It's almost cute. You and I are limited. But when we look at the person who's on the throne, we're looking to a person who is unlimited. We're looking for the person who knows the name of every star that we haven't even seen yet with a telescope. We're looking at the person who knows every fact that we'd love to know. We look at the person who's perfect in all of his ways. We look to the person who strikes his enemies with terror and fills us with awe-inspiring joy that we so desperately need. And he's God. He's champion. He's worthy of all praise. So let's look at verse 3 then. It says, He subdued nations under, his, under us, peoples under our feet. And we look, we, we look at that and say, well, when did God do that? But you have to remember this immediate audience for the psalm, the sons of Korah writing it, were writing to the nation of Israel. And had God delivered nations under their feet? Absolutely. Genesis 14, we see Abraham with a score group of hand, um, handful of men de defeat five Amorite kings. We look at the book of Exodus, and we see the superpower of the day defeated by God, the Egyptians washed away by the Red Sea. <coughs> And they were defeated in such a powerful way that when the people of Egypt were letting go of the nation of Israel, what were they doing? They were piling them with silver. They were giving them clothes. They were giving them food. They were giving them gold. They were so defeated that they paid the Israelites to go away. A tiny nation in comparison to them. In Joshua 10, what do we see Joshua doing? We see him putting his foot on the neck of his enemies. In 2 Kings 19, 35, the nation of Israel is under siege, surrounded by Syria, another great Assyria, another great superpower of the day. And what does God do for them? In 2 Kings 19, 35, he says, And that night the angel of the Lord went down and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyrians. 185,000 people, that's three times the size of the British army today. 185,000 people in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. God had done that for Israel. When Israel followed God, when they gave him the honour and the celebration he deserved, they were absolutely invincible. And listen, today, as the people of God, as the body of Christ, we don't necessarily have a physical nation to conquer. We don't have a physical city to defend. But you and I both know we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle against our own sin and our own rebellious nature. We're in a spiritual battle against Satan and his army of demons. But what does God, what does Jesus tell Peter in, in Matthew chapter 18? He says, the gates of hell cannot stand against us. The most powerful part of Satan's army can't stand against us. You see in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can stand against us? And the answer to that question is no one and nothing. 
Our greatest foes in God are defeated. Satan, sin and hell are already defeated in Christ. That's the saviour. That is a God. That is a conqueror worth celebrating. Okay, time's rushing on. So verse 4. Favourite part of the psalm. Verse 4. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. Our inheritance. Bill Gates is currently worth something like $93 billion, the last estimate. If you take my salary... You could probably support my salary in that for well over a million years. If I were Bill Gates' kids, I'd, I'd not be worried about my financial circumstances for as long as I could imagine. We, I wouldn't be worried about my future. I wouldn't be worried about... I'd be so confident, so victorious in my attitude and absolutely rejoicing. What God is telling us, the nation of Israel first, then us in this passage, is, is what he's saying about our inheritance from him. He's telling the nation of Israel, the people who are the pride of Jacob, who he loves. The psalmist, through God's reminding that their inheritance, their future, is locked in the generous love of a God who loves them, who created the world. And Bill Gates is like a pauper compared to God. Bill Gates is owned by God. God owns the universe and all that's in it. And the psalmist is saying to the people of God, you can rejoice today because now and forevermore you have a God who has an inheritance for you. And just like the nation of Israel has an inheritance, you and I, who in Christ, have an inheritance, and it's a phenomenal one. Listen to our inheritance. Revelation chapter 21. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. So today I encourage you, pull out your Bible, look at Revelation 21 and 22. Look at your inheritance, look what you will inherit. Because I'm looking at that and there's only one response that we can have. Only one thing in response to that promise that we can do. And that's fulfilling what the psalmist tells us here. God, you're my champion. You're worthy of my praise. Now, you may have wondered why I've got a a ball of string up here. Perhaps you're dying with anticipation. I don't know. (laughs) You may have seen this illustration before. I hope you have. But a good illustration is worth repeating. See, I want this this ball of string to represent your entire existence. And this ball, you know, maybe this section you're thinking is my childhood, and maybe this bit, if I unwrap it, this bit is my glorious teenage years, those fantastic teenage years at at senior school. Maybe this next section is my 20s and 30s when I've got kids and whatnot, buying a house. Maybe those next sections, that wonderful midlife crisis that comes along, those few years. And then when you get to the last part, oh, it's that wonderful retirement that you've got to look forward to. So I'm living for this retirement. But you say, well, that, you know, that last little tiddly bit at the end, that's maybe that fragged bit that goes off into, sort of filters off into wherever. That's heaven, perhaps, I'm looking at. But it's the complete opposite. It's more like, let's get it, this little diddy frayed bit is your life, this little bit here. And this bit, 
that's when you, your childhood and that little bit's your teenage years and that bit's when you're in your middle age and then that bit's your old, old, old age and then your, your, your retirement and then the rest is what we've got to look forward to in heaven. It's eternity. I was going to nail this around the room, but I thought Andy might object. So, <laughs> it would, But it would be enough if this was a true... I mean, it's only a ball of string. It's only an illustration. It's not infinite. It's not eternal. But it would go wrapping round and round this room and keep going and fill this room with string if it was truly to absolutely represent eternity and more. We'd be going next week and the week after and the week after that. The reason we can praise, praise God when life's hard, right here, right here and now, is because we've got all this to look forward to. Tell you what. Let's throw the ball around and see how long it goes. Because we've got infinite... We've got infinite reason to praise our mighty God. If our inheritance is him, I'll hold on to this end, that this is our life. And the, our inheritance will keep going around the room. <laughs> not only can't we clap we can't apparently throw a ball of string either <laughs> we've got this amazing infinite reason to praise our mighty God our inheritance that goes on forever is in him and I want it to drive us to our knees. There we go. Infinity's ended around Daniel, that's good. <laughs> but doesn't that want to drive you to, you know, to open your mouth, to shout, to clap, to jump, to celebrate? We're British, we won't do it, I know. I'm not expecting anyone to actually do that. I wouldn't mind if people did, it'd be fantastic, but we probably won't. And we should say that during this tiny this short little bit of my existence I'm actually living on a broken earth with a broken life but because I know that rest exists I'm going to praise no matter what because I've got an infinite reason to praise our God let's look at verse 5 thanks Daniel God's ascended amid shouts of joy the Lord, amid the surroundings of trumpets, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. Now, there's something I want you to notice in this text. He's speaking in the past tense in regards to where God is. He's not walking up to the throne attaining sovereign power. He's already seated on the throne, and he already has sovereign power. It's not something that's going to happen. It's not something that's sort of happening now. It's something that's happened already. And often we look around in this life and we see sin and we see Satan at work and we see death and destruction and trauma and we think, oh God, you must still be getting there. It's not, he's not all powerful yet. There's bits where he's not in control. And, but finally when he deals that final blow, he will be all powerful. No, no, nothing could be further from the truth. He's in power now. He's worthy of praise now. Where did Satan get his permission to tempt God? To tempt Job, he went to God. He couldn't do a thing except God allowed it. Who instituted death as a punishment for sin? It wasn't Satan, it was God. Who can give us victory today over sin? Who's more powerful than our sin? Almighty God. 
It's now we can praise him, and it's tomorrow we can praise him, and it's forevermore we can praise our mighty God. And let's look towards the end. Verse 8 there. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Now what God's saying to the psalmist is this. Know that every ruler of the earth, he, those rulers aren't over me, I'm over them. I am the king of kings. I am in absolute permanent power. No matter how dark it looks to you where you stand. It goes down to you and me and all the way up to the highest person in government. God is in control of all of that. Boris Johnson, the rest of it. God is in control. And he's working all for that ultimate goal that we will experience with him forevermore. So today I say we lived off this psalm. We've praised God with our heart and our soul. We've praised him for who he is and what he's done. In a few moments we're going to do that again in song. We're going to live as we were created to live, honouring and celebrating our mighty God. Enjoying people of God, enjoying being people of God. Today you and I have so much to be thankful for. Let's give him the glory he deserves. Let's pray. Lord, you are a mighty God. You are good and you're awesome. You're just. You're worthy of every ounce of praise that we can muster. You're worthy of all of our heart and our souls and our minds. You're the God of all eternity. You're the God of all creation. You're the God who loves us and has an inheritance for us. An inheritance greater than anything that this world can make. Inheritance that will satisfy. Inheritance that will inspire. Lord, you're the great giver. You're the one. We adore you. We give you praise in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen.